Well, it's great to have you with us here today. As I mentioned, we've got an old friend that's here with us today, Pastor Dave uh, and Carmi Buckley. They are our missionaries to Hungary. Hungary, not Hungary. I'm getting hungry, but we'll have Mexican food after church, so <clears throat> we'll take care of that. Um, but they, um, we have been supporting them for 23 years. The entire length of their ministry uh, on the mission field, this church has been part of their sending and supporting uh, members, and we're so glad about that. Uh, pastor Dave was a youth pastor uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, while I was in Oak Creek, a suburb of Milwaukee, which all is like one big suburb of Milwaukee. And uh, so he is somebody that I've known for many years, Carmi. Her sister, Kristen, is married to my brother, Dan, so really, it's, it's like family, and so it's great to see him. Would you do me a favor? Would you give a warm Silver Creek Church welcome to Dave and Carmi Buckley? Good morning, Silver Creek Church. Good morning. It's great to be in the house of the Lord, amen? We're so glad to be here. Thank you so much for allowing us to come and speak this morning, and thank you for supporting us and uh, helping us and praying for us. It really means a lot to us. Uh, we have some pictures to show you, and uh, the first picture is our family, and my wife, Carmi, is going to introduce them to you. Well, good morning. It's nice to be with all of you today. And it's awesome because we haven't been here for a while, so we love your new facilities. They're not new to you because they're like 18 years old, right? But, but, but they're new for us, so it's really great to be here. Um, so yeah, just a quick introduction of our family. Um, our son is Weston. He's going to be a senior at North Central University. He's studying a business, he plays soccer, so you're ever over there and there's a soccer game. Go cheer for our son for us. And then um, our, our daughter, her name is Jelaine, and she's going to be a sophomore at North Central, and she is, works in the library. So if, you need, if you're really not into soccer, just grab a book and sit outside and watch the game, and, and she can help you pick out a book. But it's a new season for us as we go back. We're leaving actually August 25th, so like in 18 more days. And it's a new season for us because our kids are going to be in college. Our son has been there for a couple years to, to go back as empty nesters. Um, we get the dog. We, we won that battle. So we get to take the dog back with us. So, um, But it's uh, we're excited to go back, but we're also dealing with a lot of emotions of that. So would you please pray for us? We did, in the last couple days, um, secure an apartment so we can we know where we're going to land and so that's really nice we got to get our stuff over into there but we had given up our home family home and moved into are moving into the actual city of Budapest so you can pray for us for that transition I just want to uh, go to the next slide you know someone said to me how's the weather in you know Europe and I said it's great and some people think that I live in South America or some other place in the world because they don't know where Hungary's at and I know geography is not everyone's Thing. So, but this is a map of Europe. It's about the same size as the lower 48 states in the United States. So, next slide, please. This is where Hungary is located at in the central part. Next slide, please. This is a close up of the Hungarian uh, map there. Uh, you can see Austria is off to the left. That used to be the Austrian Hungarian Empire at one time. Slovakia, Ukraine. Ukraine's right next to us. So, we do get refugees coming from Ukraine because of the conflict that's happening over there. And uh, we have been helping them as a church to support them at the border and also with different food and supplies, medical needs, whatever they need, we've been helping them out. Romania, Serbia, and Croatia are some of the other countries that are near us. Uh, Hungary is about half the size of the state of Wisconsin, not very big. Uh, it has 10 million people, twice as many people uh, in, uh, 
uh, in Hungary than in Wisconsin. Budapest, and I did pronounce that correctly, is the capital. And it is, uh, the capital has 3.3 million people there. Next slide, please. Uh, this is our house in Budapest. Yeah, it only has one bathroom. Uh, this is no. This is where the king and king queen used to live. This is their summer palace. Next slide, please. This is the parliamentary building. Next slide, please. You can see it's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, one of the walking streets that we uh, go by. Next slide, please. Uh, and this is nighttime vision of Budapest and stuff like that. It is absolutely a gorgeous city. Uh, we get lots of visitors coming in, and a lot of international companies are there, and. And that helped us to plant a church there. Next slide, please. But one of the most great assets about Hungary is the people themselves. But the people of Hungary are lost. There was a survey given uh, by a company that asked four simple questions, and they would say, you know, do you believe in the Bible? Do you go to church? And if you answer those questions correctly, they consider it evangelical. Uh, we asked the questions to the Hungarians, and 2.8% answered the questions correctly which means that 2.8% of uh, evangelicals are living in Hungary. Next slide, please. Sorry, uh, Hungary's an evangelical. Asked the same questions to the Americans, and it came up to be 28.9%, which means basically, next slide, please, that 97% of Hungarians do not know who Christ is. So it's our job to tell them about who Jesus Christ is. We feel compelled to uh, minister to not only to the internationals there, but the uh, Hungarians that live there. And uh, we want to make a difference in the, in the world that they live in. Next slide, please. So a couple, um, eight years ago, we planted Riverside Church Budapest. It's an international church. Um, the Hungarian fellowship that we work with, um, it, uh, they had said we need an English-speaking church in our, our denomination, so would you please start one? So we started it a couple years ago. If you go to the next slide, first we were meeting in a community center, often like what happens in a, in a new church plant. First Sunday, we had like 21 people, and over the years we've grown, we were able to secure what you see on the screen there was our what we call now is our old space. Um, it was an interesting building that you come up some steps down the hall, past multiple things, including a, a guy who sells chameleons and bugs. So oftentimes on Sundays, literally, we could have crickets in our, our auditorium, and we'd try to find them before the service, and Dave's like, I would be preaching, and there'd be literally crickets cricketing. So um, anyway, um, so then uh, over the years, we, we were reaching some numbers, and we knew that we needed to have, look for different spaces. COVID hit, but we still felt like we compelled to continue to look. So the next slide slide is, um, as you can see on the one side, it says you are here, and then it says our new place. Literally, we moved down the road from our current space, and it's the exact same building, but instead of going up to the steps to the left, now we go up to the right, and we also were able to secure a street access um, so that people can come right in from the, the main road. So it used to be, next slide please, used to be an old disco, and they still have discos in those in the area there, and this disco was a happening place, uh, but they left, and they left in anger. Their contract was over after 10 years, and they left in anger, and you could see they left, they took everything. They took the carpeting, they took the flooring, they took the handrails, they took the lights, they took the toilet seats, they took the uh, toilets, uh, they took the sinks, uh, they took, if there was wallpaper on the wall, they ripped it, if there was mirrors on the wall, they smashed it, and they took the Disco ball, too, which was, I was really, no, wanted that. But uh, they took everything out, and it was just an empty shell. So we started working, uh, tearing down some old walls, putting up new walls. And the result of that is, next slide, please, is a sanctuary that holds about 200 people. 
we have about 100, uh, I'm sorry, we have about 30 different nations that represent there. And on average, we have about 150 people that come on a Sunday morning. And we're just grateful for what God has done in that place. And that's why we're missionaries. Next slide, please. Uh, that's why we're missionaries, because we feel called to tell others about Jesus Christ in that place. But I want to introduce you to some people that made a real difference in our ministry and our lives over there. And this is Lewis. So Lewis is actually from the country of Kenya. That's the cool thing about being in an international church. You have people from all over the world, as Dave has said. And so Lewis is from Kenya, and he came to study um, engineering in the city of Budapest, and he came and be a part of our church. Actually, one of our favorite stories about Lewis is that they were doing a men's retreat, and it was going to be some skiing, some snow skiing. And Lewis, like a lot of people from our um, that have par- participated in our church, are from like equatorial countries. They're close to the you know, the equator, and um, yeah, and so. Um, he came, and we, you know, a lot, sometimes we give coats to people because they've never experienced snow, but he wanted to go skiing really bad, and so he totally loved the opportunity to get to go on this men's retreat and get the chance to go skiing in snow, which means nothing to you all here in Upper Michigan. <laughs> but for him, it was a really, a really big deal. <laughs> oh, and the next slide, please. Sorry. So this is Mike and Kinga. Mike is actually from the city of La Crosse, Wisconsin. He was um, on an airplane, and uh, uh, actually Kevin would know who I'm referencing, but our, we had a friend, his name's John Wanamaker. He came to visit us in Hungary. On the way back home on the airplane, he was sitting next to Mike, and he said, Mike, if you ever move to Budapest, you should go to our friend's church, the Riverside Church Budapest. And so Mike is married to Kinga, Kinga being a Hungarian. She kind of, they kind of represent different things, uh, different marriages that we have. We've had international marriages. So Mike is American from La Crosse, and Kinga is Hungarian, and they have their three boys, and they uh, um, come to our church. And so you just never know who you're sitting next to and who you could invite to church and who, who might show up. So that's the story with Mike and Kinga. And the next slide is, uh, I'll let you do this one. Uh, this is uh, Peter and Paul. That's what we call them. Uh, that's not their real names. Uh, their faces are blocked out for security reasons. Uh, they come from a Middle East country. And uh, they were having dreams in the, their Middle East country about uh, drowning in a lake. And they didn't know what that meant. And they felt like they needed to go search out that meaning, ask some questions and things like that. And, and one of the, Peter uh, said that I, I needed to find a Bible. And so he asked a friend about a Bible and they had to smuggle a Bible to him. I saw it. It was in a paper bag and they wrapped the Bible up in that paper bag because if someone saw they had a Bible, it would be confiscated and they would be put in a lot of trouble and so they hid it and they started reading the story about Jesus uh, talking to Peter about in the boat and taking him out on the water and Peter started to sinking down and Jesus grabbed him and pulled him up and it was at that moment that time that Peter our Peter here uh, was saying Jesus was appearing to me in my dreams we want to know if we can come to your church and learn more about Jesus and so we're like, yes, you can come. And so we are able to, we are able to give them Bibles, new Bibles in their own language and some other literature. And the joy of it all was we were able to baptize them in water uh, a few months later, a few weeks later, and then uh, we were able to help them grow in Christ. The final couple of people are Steve and Lila. They're a representative, again, of an international couple. So the, we like to share the story of Steve and Lila. Their very first Sunday that they were visiting our church, we were having a giveaway. It was at Christmas time, and we just randomly pick like A, B, C, pick a section, pick a church, pick a row, pick a chair. And so they won the poinsettia that Sunday. And then at, Val- at Valentine's Day, they came and they said, we were like, who's been married the youngest? Well, never expected Steve and Lila. Didn't know their story completely at that point. 
that they were married the youngest. They'd only been married like six months and that they had, it was a second marriage for both of them. So they won the prize on that day. So it was just kind of funny. So early on, we just connected with them. Now they're super involved, help out in a lot of different areas and they're just a really great blessing. Lila is from South South Africa and Stephen is a British guy and they met. And um, so she has family, her children are in South Africa and his family is in uh, Great Britain. And the last couple that we want to show you is uh, David and Jewel, and they are medical students from South Korea. They came to Hungary, and we have a lot of medical students that come there, university students. About a third of our congregation is um, students. And so they came, and they wanted a place to, uh, to grow and to have a community with, and so they came to our church. Uh, since then, they've completed their studies and actually moved back to South Korea to become doctors, and we were blessed by them. Uh, they became very involved. They actually were on a worship team together, and they led worship together, and uh, they became involved. And, and that's in next slide, please. And this is why we are missionaries to Hungary. There are 3.3 million people in the city of Budapest, and there are 10 million people that need to know about Jesus. And can I tell you, uh, because you're giving towards missions, I've seen your missions board out there, and I see you support a lot of missionaries. And, and I just want to thank you. And your money does go towards us. Your money that you give does not just disappear and it goes into a, you know, this uh, space out there. And, but it does come to us. And, and we're able to use it to promote Christ, to tell others about Christ. And because you give, I know there'll be Maria's and there'll be Peter's and Paul's and Lewis's and Jules and David's and Kinga's and, and different people standing before the throne of God. And we're able to tell them about Christ and they are able to receive Christ. And because you have given, and I want to just thank you so much for giving. Uh, thank you so much for praying. And thank you for all that you do for missions around the world. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark 2. Mark 2 is our text today. And while you're looking that up, Mark 2, 13 through 17, I have a story to tell you. A young couple invited their older pastor for Sunday dinner. While they were preparing the meal in the kitchen, the pastor asked her six-year-old son what they were having for food. We're eating goat, said the little boy. Goat, said the pastor. Are you sure about that? Are you sure it's not chicken, beef, or, or ham? He says, oh, no, no, we're, eating, we're having goat. I hear mommy telling daddy that we might as well have that old goat over for dinner today instead of next week. It's a bad joke, but it's a joke, okay? Mark 2 talks about a dinner program, a dinner, dinner that happened with Jesus. And Mark 2, 13 through 17 is our text today. And I love this passage of Scripture. The more I read about it, the more I love it. And it talks about a dinner that Jesus went to. And, and I just want to read 13 through 17. You can follow along on the screen if you want to or have your electronic device or Bibles in front of you. It says this in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for they were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that's alive, that it's true, that it's active. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just speak to us today through your word. We give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. The first thing I want to talk about is number one. 
We need to follow the Savior. Follow the Savior. You could see that it says in the Bible here in our story that Jesus walking along the lake there, and he had a large crowd with him. There was a lot of people that came and hear Jesus. He was doing miracles. They wanted to hear his teaching. They thought he was an awesome guy at this point in time. And, and, and now they're all crowding around him. But it's interesting that Jesus sees one man. In fact, I don't think Levi saw Jesus. It says that Jesus saw Levi. And he sees this one man. He's walking along and he sees Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax collector's booth. You know, crowds of people were everywhere, but he sees just Levi. Levi's the son of Alphaeus. We know him better as Matthew. Um, in the first century, many Jewish families would give several names to their children. And uh, Levi had, uh, is one example. Levi is known as my Matthew. He's the one that wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Um, you know, and his parents probably named him Levi after the, one of the sons of Jacob out of the Old Testament. Perhaps they wanted him to be a part of some, old, uh, some priestly duty. That's what Levi did in the Old Testament. But this Levi didn't become a priest or did any religious activities. He actually became a tax collector. And he's sitting at a tax collector's booth, and that's what he did for a living. And, and most people think about a tax collector in the first century as being the scum of the earth. You see, he purchased a tax collector's franchise from the Roman government, and he had the right to sit at a booth there and charge anyone walking by any amount of tax that he wanted to charge them. So many times he would charge them, and then he would overcharge them and keep the rest for himself. And uh, this made him well hated by many people, and he was actually at a good spot. He was on near Capernaum, which is that lake that we're talking about, and it's a lot of trade route right there. So he could see a lot of people, charge them a lot of taxes, and send them over to the government or keep for himself. Tax collectors by in the first century were not the best of humanity. They were known not to be, they were not honest. They overcharged people. They were not trusted. No one trusted a tax collector. In fact, in a court of law, a tax collector could not give testimony because they weren't trusted. Uh, a tax collector was considered a traitor because he was Jewish. Even though Levi was Jewish, he was considered a traitor because he worked for the Roman government. He was despised and he was an outcast. Many rabbis in the first century, many teachers in the first century would say that a tax collector had no chance at all in order to get in heaven. And it's interesting, when people would look at a tax collector, they would think to themselves, he's not honest, they're not trusted, they're traitors, they're despised, they're outcasts. And the sad thing about it is that tax collector, Levi, probably knew exactly what they were thinking. They don't trust me. They don't like me. They, I'm an outcast. Nobody, nobody thinks that I'm worth living. But Jesus sees Levi. And Jesus does not see just a tax collector. He sees a person Jesus sees past the sins and the guilt of a, and sees a servant, and he sees that Levi's unsatisfied with his life there. And, and when people see us, they see our past a lot of times. But when Jesus sees us, he sees our future. He sees your guilt and your shame, but he also sees the plan and purpose for you. You know, people, I've met my friends in the old past, you know, high school and, and college days and things like that, and they'll always remind you of the things in the past, won't they? But Jesus will always tell you about your future. And Jesus tells Levi a short command. He says, follow me. And Levi does something. You know what, the Levi, first of all, the 
Bible says that Levi gets up and follows. And he doesn't argue with Jesus. He doesn't talk back to Jesus. He doesn't question Jesus. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't ignore Jesus. He doesn't laugh. He, he gets up and follows him, and, and, he, and he just does it. Luke 5, Luke 5 has the same story of, this, of Levi's calling. And it has two extra words in it. And I want to read the scripture verses to you. You'll, it's almost word for word the same. But then he adds two extra words, which are kind of important in my opinion. And it says this in Luke 5, 27. It says this, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Verse 28, and Levi got up. And this is the two words that are extra. Left everything and followed him. He left everything and followed him. He left, Levi stood up and he left his income. He left his employment. He left his clients. He left everything to follow Jesus. He made a total break with his business, his tax business, to follow Jesus. He didn't stoop down and gather up the money and put it away. He didn't tidy up the books and close them up. No, he leaves it all on the table and walks away to follow Jesus. What have you left behind to follow Jesus? Is there something you're still holding on to? Are you willing to leave everything to follow him? Jesus tells us, this tax collector, to follow him. So the first thing that we must do is follow the Savior. The second thing we need to do is this. We need to focus on the sinner. Focus on the sinner. And I love Levi. Levi, he meets Jesus, and he decides to throw a party. He throws a party, invites all his friends over so they can meet Jesus. And I, I think it's an awesome thing to do because they, he wants them to know Jesus, who he is, because Levi's life has changed, and he wants his friends' lives to be changed also. But you've got to understand that he, he, even though he wants to witness to his friends, the friends that Levi have were probably other tax collectors, other rejects from society, other people that they don't like, other people that normal people would stay away from. And so there they is. He, and I could just imagine this, this large room, and there's tables everywhere, and there's people around those tables, and there's food, and there's drink, and, and there, you know, there's music playing, and there's laughter, and there's talking. And, and it's full of people that are the corrupt people of society, all in one room right there. And in the middle of that room is Jesus, the Son of God, smiling away because he knows that he's at the right place at the right time. It shouldn't have shunned them. Shouldn't Jesus walk away? Shouldn't have Jesus rejected them all? And it says no, because Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. And thank God he sat down with them. And thank God he sits down with us today. I see three important factors that will help us focus on the sinners. The number one factor is this. We need to be with them. Verse 15 says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there are many who followed him. In the first century, to have dinner with somebody is to have friendship, and to break bread with somebody is to have uh, friendship with them that you are considered to be a friend of them. And some of the most effective evangelism that could be done are done by brand new Christians. They still have a lot of friends that do not know who Christ is. And over time, they, have, they can't stop talking about Jesus, and they witness to them, but over time, that zeal can evaporate, and connections with non-Christians are replaced with Christian ones and new friendships with Christians. And in one sense, it's good to have new friendships and stuff like that. And sometimes it's best to sever unhealthy relationships. But on the other hand, you know, we need to make sure that we don't insulate or isolate ourselves 
from the very people that Jesus wants us to be with. We need to be with people that do not know him. We need to tell them about Jesus, whether it's in this city or in Budapest, Hungary, we need to be like Jesus and be with them. Another important factor that keeps us focused on the center is number two, that we need to be ready for opposition. And if you ever mix it up with the un, you know, unlikely and there are, are people, you know, if you mix it up with the loss, some of them criticize you and sometimes it could be the most religious people in the world. And it says in verse 16, when the teachers of the law who the Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? This is the first time that Mark mentions the word Pharisees, and the Pharisees were known specialists trying to follow after the laws of God, and I got to give them credit because they're trying to do something that's almost impo it's impossible to do, and they kept on trying to obey God's laws, but the problem is they kept on adding a bunch of their own laws to God's laws in order to follow him, and so they kept on adding on. Let me give you an illustration here. Let's say I paint this pulpit white, and I put a sign right here that says, do not touch because the pulpit's wet. And a Pharisee would come up and he would stand right here and says, oh, that sign shouldn't be here. That should be right down there so nobody gets close enough. So he adds one more step. Another Pharisee comes in and he says, no, this should be at the end of that aisle right there because it shouldn't be there. Soon it's over there, the sign's over there at that door. And soon enough, you find that it's on the glass doors when you come into the building because you can't come into the building because the pulpit's wet. And they kept on adding laws after laws after laws after law and God's law, and it just became almost impossible. It became impossible for anyone to follow after God. And the number one law that they had was this, stay away from the unrighteous. Stay away from the sinners. Stay away from those people who are participating in sin, and, and they're upset because Jesus is not obeying that law. And they're complaining, and they complain to the disciples, not to Jesus. They don't have the, the guts to come to Jesus to say, hey, you should change time. Um, it bothers them that he's spending time with a sinner. We need to be with sinners, and we need to do, we might have opposition, which leads us to the third thing. We need to be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. I, I love how Jesus reframes our understanding. He takes this opportunity to clarify his mission and his entire purpose was to spend more time with sinners in order to bring salvation to them. And says in verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must keep on going back to the example of Christ. And if we follow the Savior, then we need to focus on the sinner. I've been to several hospitals, both my wife and I have been to several hospitals and medical clinics in the Budapest area, and some of them are some ultra-modern facilities, and some of them are from the 1950s, and you didn't want to touch the walls. And sometimes we're visiting people, and sometimes it's sometimes we need medical help in ourselves, but I notice one thing is whenever we go to a medical clinic, there's people there that are sick. They look pale, or they're walking slowly because of injury, or they're coughing or sneezing, they're bleeding, and some of them are not smiling, someone's not laughing, and, and they're, they're not feeling good, and, and everyone's there because they're sick. Why? The truth is the medical clinics and the hospitals aren't for healthy people, are they? The truth is, if you're sick, you should go to a doctor. And Jesus seeks those who are sick with sin. And the church is meant to be a hospital for the hurting, not a palace for the perfect. Can you imagine a hospital with a mission statement that said this, we're here for the healthy. If you're sick, please stay away. Can you imagine a church 
that Saul sees its purpose to be a place for just perfect people. Let's be clear, we exist as a church to help the hurting and the sick, to minister to the people who are lost and confused in life, to help those who are sick with sin and to love the unlovely so they can have their sins forgiven by the great physician. And the people who are hurting and there are people who are sick and they need to come and hear about Jesus. And it makes me laugh when people say, well, I don't want to come to church because it's filled with hypocrites. It makes me laugh because there is not a single church in this world that is perfect because, praise God, it's made of imperfect people who have been forgiven, just like you and me. And Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came to bear our burden, to become a sacrifice for our sins. But the Pharisees completely forgot about helping others. And the whole purpose of Jesus' coming was to save us. Next slide, please. Are you willing to follow the Savior and focus on the sinners? Are you willing to follow him? Is there something holding you back? Do you have someone to hang out with that needs to know about Christ? Next slide, please. In the 1920s, sorry, Alfred was a young man riding on a tram back to work. Every day he would ride the tram to work and then ride it back to his home. And one day Alfred was approached by another young man riding on the same tram. And approached that man and says, hey, there's a church meeting happening on Clay Avenue and you should go and see about it. And Alfred was a, a person who attended a church every so often, didn't really attend that much, but he had, was a member of another church and didn't think that he wanted to go, but he, something really went in his heart and he decided to go to that prayer meeting on Clay Avenue at that little church and he decided to go there and he accepted the Lord and gave up his life for God, decided to go into the ministry. Uh, Alfred married, he pastored several churches, he raised four children and those four children grew up on their own and they raised their children and one of them is standing before you today. See, Alfred was my grandfather, Alfred Buckley, um, and someone told him in 1920s, about Jesus Christ, and it changed four generations of my family. My grandparents, my parents, my generation, my kids, and if someday my kids have children, then it will change five generations. Just because someone was willing to tell another person about Christ. Who are the Alfred Buckleys in your life? Who needs to know about Jesus? Jesus says, follow me, and for me and my family, that takes us to Budapest, Hungary, but where is the Savior taking you today? What does, where does he want you to go? Where are, your, are the Levi's in your life? Are you willing to follow the Savior and focus on the sinners? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to focus on our friends that do not know you. Lord, I pray that you would give us a divine appointment sometime this week to witness to them, Lord God. Lord, I, I, don't know why, I don't know how it will work, but Lord, just do something in that area. Lord, I pray that you would just give us the right words. I pray, Lord God, that you give us the right things to do and the right things to say. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would be preparing their hearts right now so they can hear you say, follow me. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you. They're, they've been a blessing to my family and I for many, many years. So, Lord God, I pray that you pour out your blessing on this church. I pray, Lord God, that you provide 
for this church. I pray, Lord God, that you bless the pastor and his staff, Lord. And Lord, I pray that as people drive by on this road, on Silver Creek, they would see this church. They would be drawn to these doors. They would come into the sanctuary here, Lord God, and they would hear your word and be set free. I just thank you for this place. And Lord, I just give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you so much, Silver Creek Church.